Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Layla Motley is living the young novelist dream. Her debut novel, Nightcrawling, has picked up sterling reviews and was selected for the Oprah Book Club. The buzz has landed the book on the New York Times bestseller list, and Motley just turned 20. At the same time, Oakland, the city she grew up in, where she was the youth poet laureate, has undergone wrenching change that's especially impacted the young black people who are at the center of the novel. We'll talk with Motley about her soaring success, the real-life events that inspired the book, and the responsibilities she feels to represent the town. That's coming up next, after this news. This is Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Layla Motley has been on a superstar trajectory, absorbing Oakland's revolutionary history and speaking it anew in her poetry and in her appearances all around the Bay. Last time she was on this show, she told us, I think the poet has a constantly evolving role. History, memory, story, continual vulnerability. Now she's taken on a new genre. Her debut novel, Nightcrawling, is an unflinching portrait of a young black woman who's sexually exploited by the very people who are sworn, theoretically, to protect her. She's a girl who reaches for joy and provides care for her loved ones, even when the very worst of our society has been visited upon her. It's a great and difficult book. I ended up reading it just in one sitting, unable to stop reading from the first sentence until the very last. And we're absolutely delighted to welcome Layla Motley back. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So I want to play a little clip for you. You've heard it, of course. This is Oprah. Y'all know there isn't anything I enjoy more than helping readers discover new talent. And our next book club pick is a star. She wrote this book when she was just 17. By the time she'd already been named Youth Poet Laureate of Oakland, California, 17. And I'm thrilled to announce that her debut novel is now an Oprah's Book Club selection. And it is Night Crawling by Layla Motley. I mean, what is this even like right now? The star (laughs) of stars, Oprah Winfrey, is calling you a star. I cannot fathom it. I think that's something that um, is difficult to ever really grasp, but definitely it was one of the most shocking days of my life when Ms. Winfrey popped up on my Zoom screen. (laughs) I mean, does this level of celebrity scare you? Like, do you feel fried by it or is it invigorating? Are you 
how do you feel about it? I mean, I I've tried to stay off the internet as much as possible since the book Smart. came out. <laughs> so I'm really only experiencing my in-person life, which is also very different from how it normally is. It's definitely a hard thing to grasp, but it's also, you know, every writer's dream to have their work read widely. Um, and I think this story is so important. So I kind of tried to just handle it and remember to come back to um, this book and why I wrote it in the first place. Yeah. Well, why did you write it? I wrote it because I wanted to tell a story of teenage black girls and give the kind of agency and um, and and beauty and trust um, and lack of judgment to to this character Kiara that I think we don't often give teenagers and particularly teenage black girls. And I wanted to tell a story that allows teenage black girls to acknowledge our own vulnerability um, and to question the ways in which the world has asked us and told us we are supposed to behave. Have you been hearing from other young black women and black girls who have have read this book, even if you're trying to kind of stay away from like the broad celebrity? Have, have yes. you heard from people who've been touched by it in the way that you want to touch people? Yeah, I have. Um, it's, it's unbelievable. It really just affirms the reason I wrote this book. I think that getting to see yourself reflected back in a book and, and see parts of you that the, this, this world really does try to push away, given to you in a story that, that doesn't judge, but validates, um, I think it's so important. Um, it's a it's a kind of book that I wished that I had had when I was 15, and so I wrote it. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about your Oakland. I mean, I was listening back on your you know last appearance here a few years ago, mm-hmm. and, and also just you know I'm familiar with your work, and you've really kept delving into Oakland's revolutionary history mm-hmm. and the way that people in Oakland have kind of advanced thought across the the country and the world. Where do you go, though, to kind of touch and, and taste that history in the mm. city? I mean, I think it's all around us. We have this kind of revolutionary tradition that has continued on. There are so many organizers and organizations in this city that um, are doing incredible work. I mean, the Anti-Police Terror Project is one of them. Um, there are so many organizations and, and really just people who continue to bring forward this spirit of of rebellion that I think is, is so important, particularly when rebellion requires us to step into into fear and into the unknown mm-hmm. there's also you know this pretty incredible arts history too you know thinking about the pretty revolutionary mm-hmm. lesbian poet pat parker and and mm-hmm. many other writers uh there's also a lot of these kind of youth organizations that uh, you know thinking back to my early days as a writer mm-hmm. i can't even imagine having you know your youth radio your chapter 510 mm-hmm. your youth speaks all this whole infrastructure to kind of support your creativity how did that help or what role do you think that those kind of orgs played in your development? Absolutely. I mean, I think just having places where creativity is encouraged um, and practicality isn't isn't the main focus. Um, I think often young people are told that in order for us to survive, we have to let go of our dreams. Um, Learn to code. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And and I mean, I think there's a place for that, but there's also always a place for creativity and liberation and um, and following our words and our stories. um, And and I think that organizations like Youth Radio, like um, Youth Speaks, have really been able to allow spaces to exist for that to happen um, mm-hmm. and and not, you know, close the door before it's even been opened for young people. Yeah. 
You know, basically, ever since you were born, really 20 years before that, the percentage of the people of Oakland who are black has been declining. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you think that that shaped you, you know, relative to your parents' generation mm-hmm. or people who experienced, you know, some of Oakland's uh, different historical periods? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I think I'm one of the last generations to really remember what it looked like before um, we experienced this huge influx of wealth. So I, I definitely remember places and things and people that existed in this city before 2012 um, and and the mass housing boom and just seeing, you know, so many of the people that I loved um, have to move out. The mass displacement is is absolutely insane. And and it requires us to to think about and engage with what does it mean to put black people out of out of our homes um, and particularly in a story that is historically black in a city that's historically black. I think it's really important for us to also engage with the narratives around Oakland and how they've changed over the past 10 years from being only about a city that we think of as violent or crime ridden to being a city we think of as new um and i think that both of those are really limited and narrow um ideas of this of this city and i love oakland and i think it's so much more than that um and and i think that because of the depictions of oakland that we get we very rarely get to actually experience ourselves um as as a validated part of this city and particularly for the black people in oakland we're talking with Layla Motley, author of the novel Night Crawling, which was recently chosen for the Oprah Book Club and landed on bestseller charts. Motley's 2018 Oakland Youth Poet Laureate, currently on leave from Smith College while she's launching this incredible <laughs> writing career. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. What questions do you have for Layla, uh, Layla Motley? Have you read Night Crawling? And we'd love to hear from you. you the number's 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're KQED Forum. Or the email is forum at kqed.org. You know, are there other depictions of Oakland or the Bay Area that really resonate with you as an artist and, you know, feel like they've kind of helped capture the essence of this place? I mean, I first think of They're There by Tommy Orange, um, Mm. which is one of, you know, a more recent depiction of Oakland in literature and and really just does give just such an essence of the city um, or at least one part of it. Mm. Uh, So I I love that book. I think it's incredibly important. Um, And he blurbed your book. He did blurb my book. Yes. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah, it was. Yeah, uh, dream come true. And I mean, I think that, you know, we have people like David Diggs um, and Boots Riley who are creating these art projects based in and around Oakland. Um, and I think that that's incredibly important to getting, you know, uh, representations of Oakland in Hollywood. Um, I think I think we have a few, especially more recent depictions of Oakland that really do feel true. But I think we're lacking, especially in black women's stories. Mm, yeah. You know, I mean, Black Oakland, of course, is not a a monolith. And how do you see your particular family and your particular, you know, smaller community within Mm -hmm. this larger uh, framework? I mean, I think that it's so interesting because 
so much of my life is has been based around like just walking the streets of Oakland. Um, I I think a lot of us as like young people in Oakland have, you know, walked and and taken the bus and taken BART before we ever learned how to drive. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I I started getting myself home and and going places when I was around ten or eleven. Um, and so so much of my life has been based around like the the space between the BART mm-hmm. station and my my house. House and um, and so a lot of of my Oakland is around Fruitvale and High Street and I tried to to bring that into this story and um, and I think really show the ways that East Oakland is like this lively and vibrant place um, mm-hmm. full of people that I think are often sidelined in our ideas of the city and so um, I mean I I think Oakland has so many multitudes too every area is going to be a, a completely different community and a different um, um, way of of living really um and so i just really tried to f- own in on mine mm-hmm. so i mean you did uh head out to smith quite early uh for college <laughs> now you're taking this leave and you, you know you come back to the city now that you're back i mean do you see oakland differently now that you've kind of been to the east coast and seen what, yeah. what is a wildly different world from oakland Absolutely. I mean i had such culture shock when i went to to smith because it, yeah. it's this rural town in Massachusetts and you know the biggest city is three hours away um and and I like would go a day or two or three without seeing any black people and it was very strange for me um so I think I definitely had more of an appreciation for Oakland but also Mm. every time you leave even if it's for like a week or two or three you know you go back and something has changed um and I think Mm. it's a reality that's really hard to cope with to to love a place that that is constantly shifting under your feet. Mm, yeah. I, do you think that that may be the subject of your next book? Love it, loving a place <laughs> that, that won't stay put? I uh, don't know. We'll see. Uh, we're talking with Layla Motley, author of the novel Night Crawling, recently chosen for the Oprah Book Club. Oprah called her a star. Uh, the book's also landed on the bestseller charts, and she was the 2018 Oakland Youth Poet Laureate. We'd love to hear from you if you've read Nightcrawling. Judging by the response online, a lot of people have. What questions do you have for Layla Motley about this book or about her uh, career? The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or KQED Forum. The email is forum at kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more after this break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking with Layla Motley. She is the author of Nightcrawling, 
new very hot book chosen for the Oprah Book Club. Also of note, Layla Motley is 20 years old. <laughs> um, I would want to really focus in in this segment on on the book and introduce your narrator, your main character, Kiara, for us. For, for people who haven't read the book, like how would you introduce her? Absolutely. Um, Kiara is 17 at the beginning of this novel. She's a black girl living in Oakland, California. Um, and she kind of has learned that it's her role to take care of everyone around her. And so it's just her and her older brother, Marcus, living in their studio apartment in East Oakland. And she finds herself involved with a network of Barry police officers who sexually exploit her. And it follows the investigation after that. But also it's really about black girl and vulnerability and what we owe to each other. So Kiara is a character that we see, you know, figure out what does it mean to acknowledge herself and to um, to have ownership over her own body. Mm. And I think you're going to do a little reading for us so people can hear, get a kind of taste of this book. Um, do you want to uh, go ahead? Is there anything yeah. else you want to introduce before you, before you do the Yeah. Reading? So this section um, is with Kiara and her best friend Ale as they're walking the streets of East Oakland. Ale loops her arm around my shoulders and pulls me in, lifting her skateboard into the air and sighing. Ain't it beautiful? She shouts into the open air, and I twist my head around to take it all in. The construction still lines the alley, bang-banging wood into more wood, and I swear it's like the city is spiraling around us, skyline popping up a glorious portrait of windows and wheels that don't gotta be as large as they are. Ale's arm around me makes me want to skip, lift my knees to the sky the way we sway together. Oakland doesn't operate on a grid. We wind here. The streets pulling us closer to the bay, to where salt melts with street and bikes turn to trucks that moan and thrust forward at every light. Then they push us back toward the buildings, where shouts line the perimeter of the sidewalks, and with Ale here, I don't bother trying to decipher what they're saying or who they're saying it to. Just let the noises scatter, like chunks of asphalt out the road. I find my favorite murals, new swirls added to the backgrounds, bordered in tags. Beautiful ode to Oakland. That was Layla Motley reading from her debut novel, Night Crawling. Uh, Layla, we're going to bring in our first caller here, Amy from Oakland. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much. I love your book, Layla. And I'm going to be a lifer. I'm going to buy every <laughs> single book until until I die. Um, and I've already told people to read it. I've told people all the way to Texas and back. I mean, I've, I've told everyone, like, what talent you have. Um, I'm a native, well, I'm a native Texan, but I've lived in Oakland for 25 years. And you just described the city with such finesse. Um, there's so many facets. There's so many different layers, and then your characters have so much compassion and empathy and sensitivity. And then, you know, just when you were reading, you just brought a whole other layer into it, which is I loved how you brought the bay into the characters almost. Mm -hmm. Like, that's almost a separate character, almost like, oh, I'm getting chills, almost like magical realism, but with a little bit more of a cultural realism. Mm -hmm. um, and I really really just think you have so much talent and I'm so blessed to have read your book and I hope everyone 
and the 510-925-415. And area codes beyond. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Read your book because you have something magical. You have a voice that is just beyond. And it reminds me of older, wiser Pulitzer Prize winning writers. So I'm so excited to see where you go. Wow. Thank you so much. That is quite you a that amazing. is quite a first call, Amy. Thank you so much. Um, really appreciate yeah. that. Uh, that just paying to this work, which, I mean, I'm serious. When I, you know, I was lying there in bed and I was literally just going to read for a few minutes before before bed, and I looked up and like hours and hours had passed, and I had finished mm-hmm. the book, and I was like, wow, that was really uh, that was really amazing. So, thank you. Uh, really, honestly, thank you so much, Amy. And uh, do you just want to respond to maybe the the aspect of bringing the bay in yeah. as a as a character? I mean, I think that it's it's such an important locus for us. Um, anyone who who lives in the Bay Area, you know, we see the bay, we smell the bay. It is it is part of our lives and kind of a part of our ourselves. And and I wanted to to be able to use the bay and water too in general throughout this book to kind of hold a, a duality. Um, throughout throughout this novel where that parallels Kiara and so Kiara you know she's experiencing how do you love somebody and also admit that they have harmed you with her brother and a lot of the men in her lives mm-hmm. in her life and and then also with with the swimming pool we see you know how this this pool can can be a site of joy and delight and also literally filled with feces and this is um, the swimming pool at the, the apartment building where she lives where yes yeah, yeah. and then with the bay too like how this can be just a, a calming and and constant in Kiara's life but also you know recognizing how um, at one point she she's watching the bay and she's thinking about how you know so many girls have been trafficked in boats mm-hmm. um going across the bay yeah yeah so i wanted to hold hold two things at once with that so you know as an Oakland person reading this book i immediately thought of the really huge case of the exploitation of a young woman that came to light in 2016 yes. by not just oakland police but um police officers mm-hmm. and, and sheriffs across uh across the region but this isn't like a carbon copy or a straight yeah. fictionalization of that outrage, right? I mean, this is this is its own story. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I mean, I think many of us in the Bay Area w- watched that case as it came out in 2016, and it, it kind of consumed our media for a while. And I remember um, being a young teenager at the time and really recognizing like how this was a reflection of the things I already knew about living mm-hmm. in the world in my body and and the ways in which you know girls of color are just not protected. Um, and and watching kind of the the media response and and many people's focus on um, on the police office in the police department and not on the systemic harm to girls of color really um, struck me. And so years later, when I was thinking of writing this novel and coming up with Kiara as a character, um, I knew I wanted to tackle police sexual violence, but really through the lens of Kiara, who is entirely fictional. Um, and I wanted to to like take a headline and build it into a story of, of a person and what happens when when we remove politics from theory and place it into people. Yeah. 
I mean, it, it is. I mean, at its heart, it really is this book about intersectional oppression and the the ways that a, a poor black girl has so many different forces sort mm-hmm. of uh, p- uh, bearing down on her. And the, the action that really begins it, right, is having to pay the rent. Yeah. This simple thing. And that drives dri- drives all of this. Mm-hmm. It, it, it reveals her precarity. Right. It does. And I think that part of what I wanted to do is start with um, with this rent increase that happens in their apartment complex, which they've been in for for decades, um, because I think it's so important that we recognize how how the catalyst of of mass displacement moves so many of us in directions that we might not have otherwise gone in um, when we're we're faced with losing our homes. And so we see Kiara kind of enter this survival mindset um, and and work to pay her rent in any way that she can. Yeah. Let's bring in uh, Heidi from the South Bay. Welcome, Heidi. Hi. Hey, you're on. Go ahead. Can you hear me? Yeah, sure can. Yeah. So, uh, Lila, I just want to say I haven't read your book, and I just turned on a few minutes ago, but I deeply appreciate uh, your love and passion for Oakland, and it resonates very strongly with me. I grew up in Berkeley in the 60s and early 70s and went to Berkeley High, was extremely proud when Berkeley was the first city in the country to initiate cross-city busing, so everyone had to experience the feeling of leaving their own immediate community, and even more so with great pride how all segments of uh, Oakland and Berkeley, no matter what race, religion, uh, gender, socioeconomic society, came together to fight against the common causes of racism, the war in Vietnam, poverty, uh, exclusionary housing. So... Those were fantastic times, and my heart is also grieving with what is happening in the extraordinary community of Oakland and Berkeley and driving out people who've been there for generations. So thank you, and thank you so much for spreading your word and your feelings through literature. You're an extraordinary young woman. Thank you, Heidi. Appreciate that. And you know what I wonder, um, Layla? Do you feel... Bay's communities uniting around the Bay's problems? Is that not the way that you experience Mm. your own generation now? I'm just curious. I mean, I think it really depends. I think we have. um, But it's often really hard to feel united in uh, in a world that lives mostly on the internet at this point. Mm. Um, but I, I definitely think that there, there are especially like a lot of youth organizers who have have been really leading so many of our, you know, barrier movements and I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of the, the movement to get police out of schools and so much of the 2020 uprisings youth had a huge part in. Um, so I definitely think that, you know, this is a city where we're organizing and and that kind of like constant revolutionary tradition is is always at play whether we we see it or not yeah solidarity at least feels possible at times which i'm not sure everyone in, across country feels that mm-hmm. way um we're talking with layla motley author of the novel night crawling recently chosen for the oprah book club it's on best ch- bestseller charts now uh, she was the 2018 oakland youth port laureate and we want to hear from you. What questions do you have for Layla Motley? Have you read Night Crawling? And, you know, as we've been talking about here, a theme of the book is how adult standards end up placed on young black teenage girls. Is that something you've 
experienced, you can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram's KQED Forum. You can email your questions to forum at kqed.org. You know, I wanted you to talk about another aspect of this book, which is that the, the kind of queerness of this book, the mm-hmm. relationships between queer characters are really the ones that hold up mm-hmm. uh, through through all these difficult times. Yeah. I mean, I think that what I wanted to do is um, allow the characters to exist queer without it being the central focus of the novel. Mm-hmm. Um, I think especially in the Bay, that's a reality that many young people get to have mm-hmm. um, where queerness can be secondary. Um, that that I think a, a, in a lot of other places in this country is just not possible. Um, and so we see we see kind of the characters navigate this in, in a very subtle way throughout, throughout the novel. Um, and it was really important to me that we recognize that Kiara is is in kind of this survival mindset and she she has love and connections and and people who she deeply cares about and also romance isn't necessarily the first thing on her mind and I think that um that really we get to experience her and her internal world as as the most core core element of this novel and everything else is kind of a a side plot um which Mm -hmm. I don't think we often get to see for teenagers Mm, that's so interesting you know, there's also really only one depiction of whiteness. Really, I guess a couple. Mm-hmm. There's there's some white police, and then there's Marsha, who mm-hmm. ends up being her lawyer, representing her as she's yes. trying to get some sense of justice from this uh, after this exploitation that yes. she's experienced. You know, how did you create that character? How did you, mm-hmm. you know, what what should we make of her? I mean, I wanted to turn the trope of the white savior on its head um, by really creating this character, Marsha, who who's a lawyer. And I think often, especially in criminal justice spaces, there's this idea that saving is possible through this system. Um, but really, Marsha is the only person who who believes that she is doing any saving. And um, and I think that it's really important to recognize that the white savior is often only in the heads of, of that one person. And, um, and so we see Marsha, you know, she develops some sort of trust with Kiara, but she is never going to be the person to get Kiara out of the situation she's in. And and really, we recognize that Marsha doesn't understand where Kiara is or her position or what it means to be attempting to survive this and and to thrive. Um, and, and that at the end of the day, Marsha is going to go home to her lush apartment and Kiara is going to, you know, be in the same position that she was before. At the same time, she does provide some material support, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that seems to be one. <laughs> you know, she gets her food. And yeah. uh, presumably what I imagine happens after this book is that they win some, you know, uh, financial reward, at least for, for what's happened here. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, maybe I think not, that yeah. part of what we see is that Marsha supports Kiara as long as Kiara serves her back in in the way that she is asking. And so um, as long as Kiara is cooperating, then Marsha will provide that material support. Mm-hmm. But that's conditional. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's so often the case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, the um, feels to me like maybe the real moral center of this book is, is Trevor, who's the kid next door. Mm-hmm. His mother abandoned him during the course of the book and who Kara really takes care of. And, you know, I was talking with our producer, Grace Wan, and we both 
find ourselves continuing to think about mm-hmm. that character and yeah. and hoping he's okay. Mm-hmm. No, everyone loves Trevor. I love Trevor. I mean, I think he really he allows us to continually see the that each of these characters are children that they are mm-hmm. that they are young and um, and Kiara gets to kind of experience these glimpses of childhood through Trevor. But Kiara has you know been put in a position where she's caring for everyone around her and. Trevor is another person that she takes on the care for and she in some ways thinks that she can remother him um, but she doesn't have the resources to do that she's still a kid and I think especially when we're talking about a child welfare system that is not necessarily going to support this relationship or or their individual or collective survival um, or or hope or well-being we end up in a position where we know it's almost inevitable that these two cannot continue to survive together mm-hmm. yeah. one uh, listener writes in to say I read that Layla creates journals for her characters does she do that for all the characters or just for the main character in this book I just do it for for my main character because I do write in first person. And mm-hmm. so it's really important to me that I get inside of Kiara's head and that I immerse myself in her and that I see every other character through her lens mm-hmm. um, because she's not introduced to them as, you know, objective people or characters. She is introduced to them through only her own point of view. And so when I, when I think about the other characters, I try to always put it in Kiara's perspective. And, you know, when you when you came to the end of this book, did you imagine that maybe, like, how, how did you imagine their trajectories extending beyond mm-hmm. the covers? I mean, I wanted there to be an arc in this book that we might not have expected when we began. Mm-hmm. That, you know, if we thought this was going to be a, a crime thriller or a courtroom drama, that we end mm-hmm. up really realizing that that is the least important part of this novel and that the, the trajectory and the arc of Kiara's internal world is really where we, where we see the change. And so, you know, in the beginning of this book, Kiara is very much trapped. Um, she feels she has no options and by the end of this book there is at least possibility even if we don't know what that is yeah we're talking with Layla Motley she's written this great new book Night Crawling she's 20 years old the book was recently chosen for the Oprah Book Club it's already on bestseller lists was the 2018 Oakland Youth Poet Laureate currently on leave from Smith College when we get back we're going to talk some more with Layla Motley and take some more of your calls and comments I'm Alexis Madrigal this is Forum stay tuned Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. 
Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking with Layla Motley, author of the new novel Nightcrawling, an Oprah book club pick, and a bestseller. You know, you said in one interview that you've kind of always been doing things at warp speed. And I wonder what you're thinking about next. I mean, you've probably had this book wrapped for a year or more. So what are you hoping to uh, write or do or make next? Well, I have a poetry collection coming out in the next year or so, so that'll be one thing, kind of returning to poetry. And then I'm currently working on another novel. I don't know. I'm trying to slow down a little bit. I think that... <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that doesn't sound like it, Layla. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to do it a little bit slower. So yeah, I've had this book finished for three years and, um, and you know, I'm trying to see it out into the world. I mean, I haven't even gotten to go and see it in a bookstore in Oakland yet, so I, I'm hoping to get to watch um, it, it really just thrive and exist beyond me. And then um, I'm always writing. I can't help myself. <laughs> yeah. I also know you have a favorite bookstore in Oakland. You want to tell us about it? Yeah, I have a couple, but um, I love Marcus Books, which is like the the first Black-owned bookstore in the country, I think the longest one, um, and it is an incredible bookstore. Um, I mean, I I love Pegasus and mm. Walden Pond, Spectator. Um, there are just so many incredible bookstores in, in Oakland, um, and there are some that, you know, used to exist and don't anymore, but I I think that I, I'm still proud to like be in a city where where I have multiple options of places to buy the book and you know we've even seen that on the indie list um the northern california bookstores have been selling this book like crazy so I'm so grateful for everyone going to their indie bookstore and buying it I mean they better have this book out on the table (laughs) full full end cap Uh, I'll let you know (laughs) yes good um let's bring in Marsha from San Francisco welcome Marsha Hey, good morning. Um, morning. First of all, bravo. I actually listened to the book as an audio book that I downloaded from the public library. So a Mm. shout out to the public library. Although I hope that you sell thousands and millions of copies (laughs) because I think it's an extraordinary novel. Um, I loved it. I spent 30 years living right off High Street Mm. in Fruitvale Avenue area. So it felt like a delicious meal as I read it, just so so familiar, mm. and I thought you captured the essence of everything that's going on in Oakland in terms of gentrification and change. My question is, I'm just curious, you know, the, the novel left me feeling incredibly enraged about, mm-hmm. you know, just the social justice issue of police negativity and harm to so many individuals and, you know, time after time after time, we're left with very few options. And I'm just wondering, you know, what your comments are about that. I mean, we know this was a fictionalized story, but not really. Do you know what I mean? So I'm just curious your thoughts about that. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Marsha. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think when when we're talking about police violence, I mean, we've been having these discussions for for decades. And I think many people who who weren't having that conversation have have recently started to engage with it. Um, And I think that, you know, we see with the 2015 uprisings and the 2020 uprisings that um, there are so many organizations who are, are working towards 
towards, you know, trying to combat police violence. And so many of these organizations are founded by and organized by black women attempting to center other black women. And I think what ends up happening often is that um, those movements get kind of co-opted and and shifted towards this this um, lack of focus on black women and this neglect of black women's precarity and um, and so I I really wanted to to write a novel that recognizes that um, and and that doesn't look to the criminal justice system for hope because it is a system that has never provided it and so I knew going in that you know we might be we might be upset by the way that this ends but this is this is the truth and um, and that you know if we want things to to look different we have to step into the kind of fear that I think so many of us have around what would it look like to exist without systems that we have never lived without so um, I think that so much of it is is being able to engage and and think about you know what would it mean to to not have a system of policing what would it mean to not look to the justice system for um for any kind of hope or or justice what would it mean you know i think people people do have a very difficult time imagining Mm -hmm. that i think yeah um let's let's bring in uh sam from oakland who has a kind of different kind of question for you hello hey sam go ahead Hi, this is Sam from Oakland. Um, I haven't gotten your book, but I definitely am going to get it today, um, if I could still find it on the bookshelf. Um, you know, a phenomenal person like you doesn't get to be the way you are um, without a lot of input from parents, and I'm a parent, and um, I just want to know how you look at your family and your parents and your caregivers and just sort of how you frame the way they raised you and what were the most important aspect of mm. of those influences mm-hmm. i mean i i definitely i remember we ha- we had this bookshelf in in our apartment growing up and it had like it had a, a few books that i remember i read from a very young age like maybe eight or nine and um and some of them were poetry books and some of them were novels and um and they really did reflect me and i think that a huge part of me figuring out that like it was even an option to be a writer was being able to see writers who who wrote like me um and and who weren't necessarily part of what we think of as the literary canon um and I think that like I often just didn't enjoy those kinds of books um and I think that having access to that in in my home was really important having access to the library um we went to the library like I think at least once a week (laughs) growing up um and I think that that kind of thing is is incredibly important um and I was never discouraged from um writing or creativity or or anything really um I was given a lot of freedom um and I also think that a lot of it is is you know I I just had kind of an 
innate drive towards towards writing and towards creativity and I was very independent um and so a lot of a lot of how I got here was just you know I wanted it I wanted it really badly and I worked for it and um and I think we often don't give young people credit um and look to to parents when sometimes it's not it's not about the the parents or the caregivers or the way we're raised sometimes it is it is something in us and something in the way that we're able to look at the world and look at ourselves. Well, I hear you even have two unpublished books that yeah. you had previously written before this one, which I you do. started at 17. Yeah, I wrote my first novel at 14 and my second at 15. And then this, my third, I started, I think, a month before I turned 17 and then finished in my first two months of 17. Dang. So you wrote it in three months? Is that what I'm, I maybe? Yeah, I about two and it. a half, three months. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Um, what was the process then? But, you know, obviously then it goes off to book editor. Mm -hmm. Um, did that drag out or were you just blowing through the edits also? Oh, no, no, no. That, that took, uh, like a year, I think, um, from first round of revision to last. Um, that's definitely a, a lot more of a process, but I try to draft my first draft really quickly, um, mostly because I, I try not to leave my main character. I think it's really important for me, especially because I write in first person that I, um, I really live it with her as I'm writing. Mm. And so... I, I wrote the first draft in two and a half months, and then I think I sold it about a year later. You know, you didn't grow up in the kind of circumstances precisely that um, that Kiara does. I mean, very different in experience mm-hmm. that that this, you know, poverty, obviously, there are some similarities. Um, but how what kind of research did you do to make sure that you were that you were capturing this other kind of experience? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that I I definitely pulled on some of my experiences, definitely people that I knew and loved. Um, and I did research when when I needed to. Um, I, I think research is really important for for all writers um, because we are trying to create this this authentic world and allow the reader to to really forget that it's fiction. Um, and so a lot of what I did was was researching, you know, even just like very small things, um, logistics, like there there were a lot of things that I researched. Um, and there were a lot of things that I kind of just knew, um, uh, whether from experience or I don't know, just picking it up in the world. Um, and I think that I, I knew that one thing that I couldn't do was, um, was really know all of the ins and outs of sex work so I made sure that we we had a sex worker read the book and provide notes um, because it was really important to me that I I at least got those logistics right Um, I think that there's a lot of misinformation around sex work and um, and just like so many different experiences of it. There are even just so many different types of sex work. So I it was really important to me that we had a sex worker um, read it and and provide that kind of feedback so that I could um, I could think about my character and and also about like the many realities of sex work and, and find the, the way that those two things met. Yeah. Uh, a couple more notes of praise uh, coming in. Uh, Merrily writes, I'm so proud of this guest. I'm a native Oaklander, but grew up on the peninsula. I've now lived here since 1977. You give me so much hope. Keep mm. it up. Robin Thank tweets, you. Layla, shout out to a Park Day School alumna. I remember you in kindergarten. Rise, Layla, rise. You're on your way. So proud of you. Love, Sarah's mom. <laughs> uh, assuming, assuming you know who Sarah is. Um, 
I, you know, one of the things that I wanted to ask about is, you know, the kind of support and success that you are already receiving as a writer mm-hmm. is kind of a lot different from what a lot of your peers obviously are getting. Um, I know that one of your earlier projects was editing Quip, right? This was an anthology mm-hmm. of young queer writing. So I wonder who inspires you these days among your peers and how do you feel like you now need to use this platform you have to to support them? I mean, I I think that so many there are like just so many young artists who are incredible and I think that part of of what our our culture doesn't do is is support young artists and and recognize us as as like important with important work. Um I think that a lot of what happens is when we exit kind of adolescence, we we put this huge distance between ourselves and our younger selves um mm. and and kind of approach it with judgment and I think think that that often translates to how we treat young people um, with the same kind of judgment that we might think of our, our younger selves. Mm. But I think that part of what what makes young people so brilliant is we kind of have this heightened experience and emotions and um, and all of this like fever to to create and to um to share whatever it is that that we're passionate about that hasn't yet been kind of taken out of us by all of the the ways that our our culture um, injects the idea that practicality is the most important thing. Um, so I definitely think that as as a culture we need to to look towards young people more. And I you know I have so many friends and um, who who are really incredible artists and who you know might not have published books or um, albums or whatever it is by um who are creating incredible work yeah you know it's funny a lot of our listeners um really are like they, there's a lot of kinds of comments i'm just going to class them into two things one is how do i make sure my kid turns out like you <laughs> <laughs> um and you know what is this sort of network of uh influences that you know made made you 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 know so mm-hmm. that people could try and like put that into play so uh, interesting it's really interesting i just want to mm-hmm. say to all the parents out there i'm pretty sure layla is sweet generous like you're not <laughs> you can't you can't make can't make someone write three novels before they turn 17 that's just right. not something you can actually uh like have a kid do without it yeah and you don't want to make your kid any anything that they're not you know i think that part of of raising a a child is allowing them the the space and encouragement to do whatever they want and if that's like lay on the couch and watch tv (laughs) all day then like that's great teaching them rest is important you know like i think that we we have my kids are so glad to hear this layla my kids are gonna yes and i think this for me we have all of these ideas that like the the thing that makes people valuable is the things that they do and this kind of idea of exceptionality and I don't think that that helps anyone you know so I think that um I learned that it was Im- it was important for me to to overachieve in order to be valuable. And I think that that was a lesson that I wish that I hadn't learned and maybe I would have rested more and experienced more of like being a kid. And I think that it's important for parents to allow their children to just be kids and not push them towards, you know, things that they maybe don't want to do or aren't ready for um, or the idea that they need to be doing something in order to be loved and important. What a great answer. Uh, Robin in San Francisco teaches in Berkeley. Last uh, call here. Hey, Robin. Can you hey hear there, me? Alexis. Hey. Yeah, can you hear me okay? Yep, sure can. Go ahead. Great. Hey, Alexis. 
Um, thanks for taking my call. Um, Layla, so, so great to hear uh, from you. And I can't wait to head over to Pegasus today to get my <laughs> night crawling book. It's going to be great to read. Um, my questions to you um, just stem from my work as a public uh, school teacher in Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Um, as a um, teacher, you know, uh, at Thousand Oaks, we try to always raise equity, social justice issues, tolerance, and, and um, raise up all students' voices. And a couple of years ago, I did a summer book club in the middle of COVID and read with my students the book um, by Rita Williams-Garcia, One Crazy Summer, which is, you may have read, it was a um, story um, of the Black experience for young people in 1968. So my question really stems, um, as I work to elevate my own students' love of literature, what books were, um, I know you mentioned you had a bookshelf in your home, what mm-hmm. books were really instrumental in yeah. um, your own you know, development as a lover of literature? Yeah. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Rob. Um, I, let me see. Okay. I love Intozaki Shange. She's one of the first poets I loved. Um, and her, I mean, she's most well known for, for colored girls, which is her play. Uh, but I also really loved her, her novel, um, which is called Sassafras, Cypress and Indigo. Um, and it's about like black girlhood and, and art. Um, and it's, it's beautiful. Um, Salvage the Bones by Jasmine Ward. It's definitely Mm -hmm. one of my favorite novels. Um, I think I found it when I was around 15 and just fell in love with it. Um, I mean, I think that it's so important that you lean into the interests of young people. You know, I wanted to read about like black girlhood and art. And so a lot of the books that I read were around that. And those are the books that have stuck with me. Um, and really allowing like people to to find literature that they love and like not putting judgment on it you know i think that it's definitely like it's worth allowing kids to to love their YA and love their middle grade and you know if they like picture books that's great and if they want to read about robots that's fantastic like whatever it is to to be able to read a book and feel that kind of a neat like love and excitement around reading is really the thing that we want to teach young people because once you once you experience that it it drives you forward to read more and more and more and um and as you develop you'll read different kinds of books and and I think that it's so important to just find like that first book that you're gonna love um and that's that's a very individual thing yeah Thank you so much, Layla Motley, author of the novel Nightcrawling, Oprah Book Club pick, also a forum pick, let's just call it that too. It's a bestseller. (laughs) Thank you so much. We're so lucky to have you in our region. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. 
Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Do you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snap Desert Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them, with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.